Whether you say tomato or tomato, we all know when we see a rotten one. As this season of Flops continues, today we're looking at film flops that have a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. These are films where every single certified critic gave the movie a negative review. When that happens, well, zero fresh tomatoes for you. But do these pieces of movie fruit remain spoiled or is there any salsa or spaghetti sauce that can be made from them with the passing of time? Hang on to your muscles, Hercules, because we're going to find out the gospel truth. Can we make the case for this pop trash to go from zero to hero? Let's begin. Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. We're talking about a few movies that have that not so fresh feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and as with each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it, but with love, of course. And tonight I celebrate my love for tomatoes. <laughs> well, these ones are squashed. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met anyone who actually used the word tomato? No, I, I haven't. But I have uh, heard potato used quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> they also drink Clamato. <laughs> and the wine they drink is Moscato. <laughs> oh, come on, one more. <laughs> Welcome to this hour of rhyming tomato. Well, I'm excited for today because I uh, I love a bad movie. So it's movie critics. It's not like the general public because... I was amazed that when I pulled a couple of these up on iTunes or whatever, they were like four out of five stars. Know, and it was actually like user reviews. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And I think that's just like a sign, you know, of of our lives right now where you could ask people to review the coronavirus and someone would be like, eh, four out of five stars. I think it's okay. <laughs> and it's just crazy. But that's just the world we live in where random people on the internet will just, you know, think positive things about things <laughs> that just aren't very good. But here, yes, here, what makes it a zero is registered critics giving it a bad review. And sometimes that can be, what, a, a 10, 20 critics? Sometimes it can be hundreds of critics. Mm -hmm. But basically, these are movies that almost never get good reviews. So we're going to get into our first movie. I looked over the list and I noticed there were quite a few John Travolta movies on there. <laughs> I was surprised Battlefield Earth was not on the list. That was very strange. I almost watched Staying Alive, but I decided to pick Jaws 4, better known as Jaws the Revenge from 1987. John Travolta's in Jaws the Revenge? No, he's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn, that was making great. The big star is Lorraine Gary. No, the big star in his role as Hoagie. Yes. Michael Caine. <laughs> well, of course, they could not get Roy Scheider back. He was considering it if they would kill off his character. And I think at the end of the day, he was just like, no, forget it. I think he saw the script. <laughs> I saw Jaws the Revenge in the theaters. And it's a specific memory because I went with my grandmother. I took my <laughs> grandmother to Jaws the Revenge and my step-grandfather at the time. He was a little hard of hearing, starting to get Alzheimer's. He fell asleep, but always woke up when the shark attacks were happening. And I remember leaving the theater. That's a skill. And he was like, that was the dumbest movie. It just is sharks eating people the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I saw this in the theaters. I was still probably a little too young to go to a Jaws movie 
movie in the movie theaters, but I do remember getting this on VHS. And I will say one other thing about the Jaws, the, about this movie in particular, the, the artwork, the movie artwork is actually quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not Lorraine Gary, although it kind of is meant to look like her on uh-huh. the edge oh, of a canoe, like right. basically with a javelin. I will hand it to the graphic designers of this, <laughs> this poster. Man, I've never seen a shark look more like an A, the letter A. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. Let's just briefly, for those who have not seen Jaws, the revenge, with the tagline, This time, it's personal. (laughs) (laughs) Let's give them a, a little taste of the plot. And why it's personal is the scriptwriters chose to kill off the other son, Sean Brody at the very beginning of the movie. And the family decides to go to the Bahamas to escape the tragedy that had unfolded. And yet the shark follows them from (laughs) Amity, wherever that is in New England, New York, Maine, whatever, all the way to the Bahamas. Boy, are my fins tired. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that somehow the shark has a GPS for where the Brody family (laughs) manages to go. It's craziness. You just go with it. You have to, because the whole plot centers around the shark, like out for vengeance following this family. This, This shark is like, Jaws Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. (laughs) The novelization tried to like explain that, that I guess there was some altercation with some woman in the Brody family and she put like a voodoo curse on the shark. So the shark was like under its influence, which makes just a tiny bit more sense than just out of nowhere, (laughs) the sea creature chasing them to the Bahamas. What do you say? I mean, here's my take on this movie, which is... There's only so much you can do with the Jaws franchise. I mean, sure, you can zhuzh it up with the 3D effects like they did in Jaws 3. You can, you know, add some storytelling elements like a curse that follows this family around. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, you basically have the same premise, right? It's a shark attacking a bunch of people. And I feel like by the fourth installment, what made Jaws the original Jaws, such a classic, all of those pieces had just been stripped away and all you're left with is just the camp and the schlock and the thrill you get from watching the technological advancements in shark technology <laughs> or whatever <laughs> and how to make a shark look scary on yeah. film. And to me, this is just one of those things where is it a good movie? Absolutely not. But is it a fun movie to watch? Yeah, absolutely. And it's because Jaws is now like mythology and folklore. Mm. And you can make it fun just by just by having the shark basically kill people. This is never going to be a movie that critics actually should give good reviews to. What this should be is a movie that tickles an audience. mentioned Michael Caine's presence in the movie, and this is notoriously notoriously part of his quote-unquote paycheck movies that included Uh, things like The Swarm. When he was asked about the movie in an interview, he answered, And I was paid a million dollars for two weeks' work. Someone said to me, I saw that Jaws 4. He said, it stinks. I said, I haven't seen it. I said, but I've seen the house it bought my mother, and it's 
marvelous. I love it. I think there's another quote where he's like, this is a terrible paraphrase, but he's like, get one an Oscar, build a house, had a great holiday. Not bad for a flop movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which, I know. Which he, I was like, did, did this movie actually win an Oscar? No, he won an Oscar for Hannah. Oh, and right, her which sisters. came out the same year. And he was contracted to film just 15 days, I think, in the Bahamas. And because of that tight schedule, he couldn't get to the Oscar ceremonies to accept his Oscar. He was making Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> I mean, is that something or what? <laughs> oh, man. Something sounds fishy there. Oh. Did you catch the scene in the end where the, the shark is coming out of the water and they had that little device that was like giving it electric shocks or whatever? And it was coming out of the water roaring like a lion. I mean, this is crazy because sharks don't really have vocal cords. That shark's infamous roar during the climax comes from, get this, a Tom and Jerry cartoon. No way, it does <laughs> yes. not. Yeah, that's, well, apparently according to sources on the internet, and I believe everything on the internet, <laughs> the sound editor refused to make an original sound effect he thought that well the idea of a shark roaring was ridiculous and he's like nope not gonna do it do you like the beach no i don't <laughs> i didn't think you would <laughs> the movie or the beach actual the beach i think well both no <laughs> i just you'd be like oh there's sharks just... but sand <laughs> i don't like sand it's coarse and rough and irritating. I like the beach, but I this is why I think part of the Jaws franchise always works, which is the beach is an inherently scary place. Mm -hmm. Even if you love a beach. What did you call me? <laughs> yeah. Come and get me, you son of a bitch. I don't know. I still think there's something really like inherently scary about anything on the open water. And so even if you want to make the campiest, schlockiest, cheesiest version of a Jaws movie, some element of it is going to still at least provide a bit of a thrill. Well, this movie is listed among the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made in the official Razzie movie guide by John Wilson. I really don't think this deserves a 0% rotten score. Um, I, I think, you know, a solid five is in order. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that kind of wraps up Jaws the Revenge. Do you feel like you got your revenge on that movie? Uh, I think I still have a little bit of a grudge. This time, it's personal. Well, where do you go from Jaws the Revenge, but anywhere else other than an erotic thriller? <laughs> You don't get much eroticism in, in Jaws the Revenge. It's a different type of biting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I want to talk about and is also one of the movies on uh, the Rotten Tomatoes 0% list is a 2002 erotic thriller called Killing Me Softly. No, it is not the Fuji song uh, or the Roberta Flack song. It is a 2002 movie starring Heather Graham, and Joseph Fiennes. And I would say this movie almost killed me softly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I watched the whole thing waiting for Roberta Flack to show up. And every turn, it was just Heather Graham's tits. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one is named Roberta and one is named Flack. So. <laughs> oh, I missed that in the credits. <laughs> 
The reason I wanted to pick this was because there is another podcast series called You Must Remember This. Mm -hmm. And they're doing a look back on 80s and 90s erotic thrillers or erotic movies and basically making the argument that the last two decades of the 20th century were a really interesting period in Hollywood where lots and lots of movies centered around sex. And some of them are, you know, camp stuff. It's it's screwballs and porkies and all that kind of stuff. There's also sort of the erotic thriller, the fatal attractions, uh, the American gigolos, stuff like that. But it was kind of a fertile ground to use. <laughs> uh, I guess that fits. Um, she makes the case that after Eyes Wide Shut, which was 97, there really, there was no mojo in Hollywood anymore to kind of make these movies. Either either they just didn't sell or there was, you know, studios got skittish or who knows. But I wanted to talk about Killing Me Softly because it is sort of supposed to be a bit of a homage to the erotic thrillers, the great erotic thrillers of the 80s and 90s, the basic instincts, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it came out in 2002. It has two fairly big names in it, Heather Graham, Boogie Nights, of course, she's Roller Girl in Boogie Nights, and Joseph Fiennes, who at the time was probably best known for Shakespeare in Love, uh, and that movie was a Best Picture winner. So, you know, two really well-known actors, but for as much as this movie, like, is trying to call back to those really classic erotic thrillers of, like, the 80s and 90s, I both can appreciate its effort at being sort of like a, a 21st century bridge to the erotic thrillers <laughs> of the, the last two decades of the 20th century, but can totally also recognize it absolutely disturbs. It's 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I'll give a plot summary in a second, but real quick, Eric, what did you think of this movie? Well, it's no body of evidence, more like a body of evidence. <laughs> it's it's oh, man, really like been sitting on that one. <laughs> well, I've got plenty ready. This is more like killing me rottenly. Would you like <laughs> would you like the others? Here they are. It's Shakespeare oh. and Lust. <laughs> it's 50 shades of no way <laughs> the main character heather graham her character is alice this is alice doesn't love here anymore <laughs> oh i like that okay i got two more ready see if yes. you like these tell me which was is your favorite fatal misdirection <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least basic it stinks <laughs> basic instincts is pretty good mostly because i pictured john lovitz from the critic basic yeah it stinks. stinks it's very simple if you stop going to bad movies they'll stop making bad movies yeah it has this kind of like straight to video feel um well and <laughs> there's a reason for that <laughs> oh I, I i can't wait to learn <laughs> all right real quick before we get there let's do plot heather graham is alice an american expat living in in London, who, and this is only something that can exist for a very finite period of time. Her job is that she designs CD-ROMs. Oh, I love that from the narration. <laughs> when she said that, I was like, oh man, okay, so you've been unemployed since 2006. <laughs> Welcome. You've got mail. She's dating a very boring man named Jake who just gives absolutely nothing, really. He's just such a dud and somehow crosses paths with, and this is also something I love, 
Joseph Fine's character, who is a celebrity mountaineer. What a fall from grace from playing <laughs> William Shakespeare to psycho rock climber. <laughs> well, yeah. So anyway, they start a torrid love affair. Heather Graham's character, Alice, finding all of the sexual spark she needs from Joseph Fiennes' uh, psycho mountaineer named Adam. And from there, the story takes off. I, I'm not going to give away any other plot details. That's basically all you really need to know other than Adam isn't all he's cracked up to be. Even though she knows something's wrong with him, she just can't resist him, which is uh, one of my favorite things because the tagline for this movie is, how can you escape what you can't resist? <laughs> you mentioned that this movie has a very sort of like straight to DVD feel or straight to VHS sort of feel. And that's yeah. interesting. I felt this was like the weakest of Shannon Tweed's performance. I mean, Heather <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> what's interesting about this is MGM was behind the film. Ivan Reitman is a producer. Ivan Reitman of like what? Ghostbusters fame. Stop. I know. MGM made this big splash that they were going to release this film in thousands of movie theaters on Martin Luther King Day weekend, which was always a historic big box office weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I think is kind of not true. I do remember the campaign. MGM was like, we're not about musicals anymore. Oh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. It was really, really bad. So, so much so that they canceled plans to release it in theaters in the U.S., and just sent it straight to DVD. Now, some huh. people argue that they released it straight to DVD because the sex scenes were probably a little too much for movie theaters to withstand. I don't think that's entirely true. Having watched this, maybe this is also like a 2000 or 2022 brain on a 2002 movie. I didn't think the sex scenes were all that vivid, to be honest with you. I feel like you see much more explicit stuff in movies and even some TV shows today than you do in this movie. Sure, Heather Graham is naked for 25, 30% of this movie. Joseph finds butt. And might I add, it's a finds butt. Oh, <laughs> I knew that was coming. I had a feeling. Maybe the thing that made this movie provocative for the time is that there's a domination relationship between Joseph Fiennes and Heather Graham's character, right? You get dialogue. I wrote this down because I was just rolling when I watched it. He ties her to the kitchen table and they have this intense scene. And he says, I could break your neck. I love you so much. <laughs> and, and her response is, Adam, I have to pee. <laughs> Well, that's very realistic. Come on. Well, she was trying to get out of the bondage. She was, it was her, her way to get out. But that just like the, that dialogue tells you how some of the movie is not very erotic. That for some listeners, no shame, might be a recommendation that is, it is not a 0% Rotten Tomato score. There is so much stuff though to laugh out loud. And it starts from the very beginning, uh, the opening credits are Heather Graham making moaning sex noises over top of video of an avalanche. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it makes no sense. Well, I mean, it eventually kind of puts together, but it just watching it, you're like, what in the world were they thinking? My favorite crazy thing about the movie is after they get married, she answers the phone and her new name is Alice Tallis. <laughs> That's true. His name is Adam Tallis. Her name is now Alice Tallis, which is pretty good. Nobody was like, maybe we should just change this. So her name is <laughs> the sexy movie. Her name is Alice Tallis. <laughs> 
to get into the story and the mystery of like, I love thrillers. I know you love thrillers. And there's, there's like a deliberate pace that you have to set up and a construction of the story and the characters that has to really click. Um, and this just seemed off. It was like a lot of sex scenes. And then like an hour in, oh, now we're going to get to the mystery. And then it started ratcheting up. And then there were just random scenes thrown in there. So there was like, by the time I got to the end, I felt like there is a movie in here that is trying to get out. It could have been a basic instinct. It could have been a fatal attraction. It just, I don't know what it was that just fell apart. And I think was, was it because so many good ones had already happened before or so bad it's good ones had happened like body of evidence, which I love. Well, and so here's, I have a theory on this, which ties back to glitter, the movie that we talked about in our first episode this season, which also came in around the same time as this, Mm. where at the core, you have a story or a premise that should work, right? There is Mm -hmm. something thrilling about marrying a guy or falling for a guy who's mysterious and, and, you know, treats you like a bit of an object, but you're drawn to it in some ways. I think that the climate in Hollywood and or what what studio executives thought audiences wanted had to water stuff down enough so that it felt like a little bit like a lifetime TV movie. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a, mm-hmm. a an R-rated lifetime TV movie mm-hmm. in the same way the glitter that's felt how, like yeah. a TV movie. Um, so I think that's potentially something interesting here too. I'll also say that... I, I really do think that the erotic thriller, so to speak, has has not had a place in 21st century cinema. And that's the reason I wanted to talk about this movie today, because I think it at least deserves a little bit of credit for trying to go to a place that clearly doesn't really seem like a, a, a place most studios, most movie companies want to go this century, um, with one exception the movie Unfaithful, starring Richard Gere and Diane Lane, it only really has maybe two scenes-ish where Mm -hmm. it feels like, oh, I'm watching something spicy. With the exception of Unfaithful, I can't think of another erotic thriller that actually did well at the box office and is something that's stuck in pop culture from this century. Can you? Well, Fifty Shades of Grey, I think would be the closest thing, right? So I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because I, I think those are... That is like the Diet Coke of erotic thrillers. Well, yeah, but it's like this generation's version of that, I would say. But it's definitely watered down. Like to me, Fifty Shades of Grey, which not knocking, they're fine. They're fun. It's like watching Twilight. I mean, I don't want to talk down to it because I I think pop trash is great. You know, whatever level, high art, low art, whatever. Exactly. But there is, I mean, I can see a little bit of a difference, but in my mind, it's similar. I think what you're articulating the way I would hear it is like, there's like a, a kind of darkness or a um, taboo from the nineties and eighties that was like, Oh, this shouldn't go there. It's like the send the kids to bed. We're going to watch an R rated movie. That kind of a feeling I think doesn't exist anymore. There is a difference generationally or decades from then to now of like Cinemax after dark, bring it around to (laughs) our our previous uh, podcast. That kind of, I'm staying up late. I'm watching this thing. I shouldn't, the forbidden. All right. That's a good way of putting it. There's something forbidden about those movies from the eighties and nineties that feels like it's lost a little bit and killing me softly does not hit the swell (laughs) Um, but i give it a a, like a a a tomato and a half for trying 
So Mike, were there any other on the 0% Rotten Tomato list to maybe take a second look at or avoid? There's a ton. What I find interesting about the 0% list of movies is tons of sequels in beloved Mm -hmm. franchises. Mm -hmm. Police Academy 4 is on this. And I think the Police Academy movies all are, I mean, stupid, but like stupid with like a vision behind them. And so like, I wouldn't put all of them on there. I will say this though, I mean, I don't want to give too much power to the critics that shape what people like and don't like. So even though we're looking at 0% ratings, to me, it goes back to how you always define pop culture and pop trash, which is, sure, lots of people might think it's bad, but mm-hmm. someone might find a kernel of like fun mm-hmm. or goodness or interesting, you know, ness, that's not a word, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and that is to me, like why it's worth revisiting these movies, even if every critic in the world said, don't waste your money on it, don't go see it, don't stream it. I think some people are still going to find things in Madhouse and Killing Me Softly and Jaws the Revenge and Megaforce and Staying Alive, whatever movie is on this list that you might smile at, you might laugh at. And hey, like, what more can you ask for? We've tomatoed or tomatoed ourselves out today. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I don't know about you, but I am hungry for a hoagie with no tomatoes. <laughs> it's fresh, like Quill and the gang would say. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. And you know, there's plenty of episodes from this season that you can catch up on. <laughs> oh, God. Tomatoes, ketchup. <laughs> I, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs>